Well, we're in the middle of a series, and we are going through kind of an overview of the Old Testament book of Exodus. But hopefully, if you've been here, you know you know our goal isn't necessarily just to uh, kind of remind ourselves or go over some of the uh, old Sunday school stories that you heard on felt board and things like that as a kid. If you raised in church or maybe v- vacation Bible school, you might recognize a few of these stories. That's great. TV shows, movies have tried to recreate some things. That's awesome. Uh, we're not really trying to dive into the story as much as um, we know that from from mankind's view of wandering and wondering through life, uh, what is life? What's going on? What's happening? There are some questions that are natural that pop up in our lives as we're kind of making our way through this journey called life. And and we know that Christians have these same things. And so we believe that the Old Testament, uh, one of the greatest things about the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament is that we get to learn uh, from the the examples that were modeled before us uh, a lot of great things. And by the way, the majority of things that we learn was how horrible people did things, like how they did it the wrong way. And so we get to learn those hard lessons that they've had to learn. We get to choose whether we want to learn things the hard way or not. And you know, most of us don't choose wisely. So anyway, let's keep going. Uh, here are some of the questions that we've been going through as a church. The questions that are natural for us. Why me? You know, what's, what's going on? What, you know, what's happening, God? Like, how, how am I going to make it? Uh, you're looking at the season that's, that's in front of you. You're like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it. If you're married or have a family, sometimes it's a we. Like, I don't know how we're uh, going to make it. One of them is, uh, why am I doing this? Right, and this is a, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. And it's I hope everyone's here next week. Why am I doing this? Is such a great question to ask when it comes to the things we do in our faith, especially as a church community. But uh, but there's reasons for everything, and so uh, we've asked these questions over the last couple of weeks. And so just a very quick recap as we're diving into the story today. When we ask the question, "Why me? Why me?" It doesn't matter what it is. We're looking for God to give us an answer that's sufficient which sometimes he doesn't do because he knows there's no answer for you. That would suffice. And yet, the the lesson we're learning from looking at God's people is that God really keeps insisting, even when we're asking those questions, to trust him and obey him, right? This is going to build faith. These are the building blocks of our faith, to trust and obey. One of the questions that Pastor Chris walked us through last week was, what's going on? This was walking through the, the plagues and the Red Sea and just, <laughs> you know, the Israelites had no idea. God's people sometimes were really struggling with how God was doing it, what he was doing, what was going on, what was going on to them. And we all get that way. And the lesson we talked about last week was this idea of lifting our eyes from your circumstances onto his faithfulness. What does that look like? For us to, to, when we ask that question, to begin to lift our eyes from, from kind of the circumstances that we can't understand what's going on to his faithfulness to trust that he knows what's going on. And then last week, Pastor Chris closed with a verse that I, I already knew last week when I heard him close with it. I was like, oh, this is the perfect verse to kick off this week as we dive into the story. It's from Exodus 14. It's the last verse of the chapter. All right. This is right after the Red Sea. And he says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power of the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and his servant, Moses. I mean, this was an unbelievable moment. Now, you get into the next chapter, 
as we're going to continue with the story today, as we kind of uncover some more of these questions that we ask. But I want you to think of the moment in the best way you know how, okay? Uh, this, is a, this is a huge moment of celebration. Uh, they're in awe of God. They build Ebenezer's and altars to, to kind of recognize so they can always remember what God did at the Red Sea. Um, verse uh, Chapter 15, they go into singing a song. It doesn't sound like a great song, you know? It's kind of one of those weird songs like, yeah, you killed everyone. I mean, it's a weird, kind of a weird song to sing, probably, you know, probably in, written in A minor. Anyway, it was, it was definitely one of those songs that were just chanting and celebrating. And I think of it more like, you know, I picture mine, in my mind, I'm picturing like, you know, Star Wars when they blew up the Death Star for the fourth time. You know, I'm trying to say like big Ewok village party. Anybody with me on Star Wars? Yeah, big Ewok village party. Like, you know, it's it, this is the kind of celebration. Choose your movie, choose your, uh, you know, end of the football game, the tournament, the thing. Choose your celebration. But that was the moment. This euphoric high that all of God's people were experiencing as God crushed their enemies on the, on the shores of the Red Sea. And they were in awe of God. They put their faith in God. And then after they sing their song and had spent some time there, it says Moses then led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. Why? Because they were going to go to the mountain of Sinai. That, I mean, God had already told Moses what was going to happen. You're going to deliver the people and you're going to come back here and worship me on this mountain. So yeah, Moses already knows. They go away from the Red Sea, and they move out in the desert of Shur, and they traveled along, traveled in the desert for three days without finding any water. Then they came to the oasis, right, of Marah, but the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah. That's actually what it means, is, is bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Yay, Moses! Moses! Everybody with me? They turned against Moses. What are, you, what are we going to drink? They demanded. Three days without water. I don't know if you've ever gone that long without water. It's not recommended, right? Three days. And Moses cries out to God for help. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw it into the water, and then the, it made the water good to drink. Again, just another miracle of God. And it was there at Mar that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. Now remember, up to this point last week, everything was a constant reminder that I am the Lord your God, that I'm going to deliver you, that I am the Lord your God, that I am the Lord your God, that you would believe that I am the Lord your God. I told him his name, I am. God doesn't, he's not being shady here. He's trying to be as clear, crystal clear as possible with his people through Moses, of what his plans are, what he wants to do. And he tells them, I'm going to set a standard here, right here in, the, in this oasis of Mara. I'm going to set a standard for you, and here's what the standard is. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, if you listen carefully to what I say, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees. Everybody with me? Okay, really crystal clear. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Do the things I've asked you to do. Do what I asked you to do is going to be right. And obey these, obey, the, obey these commands. Then he goes on to say, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases that I sent on the Egyptians. Why? I am the Lord who heals you. Keep going. 
After leaving Mara, the Israelites traveled to the oasis of Elam, right, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped out beside the water. Picture that, that Looney Tunes moment when they're in the desert, you know, and all of a sudden this oasis mirage shows up, and oasis, it's 70 palm trees, all these fresh springs. I mean, we're talking about, like, that might as well have been the promised land for them, right? Like, wow! I want us to, to look at two big themes before we talk about some elements of God's provision, because that's what today is all about, God's provision. But I want to talk about two big themes that, that, one of the, that God has to has help us kind of constantly work through. And the first one that shows up is this idea of the curse of self-sufficiency. The curse of self-sufficiency. There's something about the brokenness of man and the curse on mankind that we sort of, we sort of equate deliverance with dependence or independence. We equate freedom with not having to follow rules anymore. We equate, you know, being free or delivered or being rescued to the point that that's fantastic, but now I don't need you anymore, right? Just think of a toddler. Everybody remember those toddler years of like, no, I do it myself. I do it myself. Well, I'm sorry, son, you can't drive, right? My three-year-old. No, I do it myself. No, I do it myself. That is constantly the curse of man, is this self-reliant, self-sufficient, self-supportive, sometimes self-righteous nature in us that when God delivers or when God you know, provides, that we think this automatic thing, curse hits us that, well, it's so that we can go forward on our own. It's so that we can do it on our own. It's so that we don't, okay, he, he delivered us, we're good, we're We're good. And you're going to see this come up over and over and over and over and over again with God's people because it's a curse in us, a curse in mankind. A little bit further, just to take you down there, the whole community of Israel, right, set out from Elam. They were camping by this amazing um, uh, oasis. They journeyed into the wilderness of sin. That's not a foreshadowing weird name. It just has to do with the region of Sinai. Okay? The wilderness of sin is not something that you can use on your children. Don't go in the wilderness of sin, right? Just, it's, it's, just, it's just a region between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there, just catch this, the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. Right? There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around with pots filled with meat, and we ate the bread, all the bread that we wanted, but now you've brought us in the wilderness to starve us to death. I can't do it good. But does that make sense? I, like, this is the cry that shows up, <laughs> the second curse that we all battle, Right? Is the curse of spiritual amnesia, right? Uh, by the way, how long since the Red Sea was this? Did you see that? Two months. Two months! Okay? Two months. Let's be generous. Let's say three. Three months from the time he went in and he whooped the butts of the Egyptian gods. Okay? Ten plagues. Wiped them out. Your gods have no power compared to me. I'm the, I'm the actual God. He delivers them to the Red Sea. He takes them through the Red Sea. 
And then he destroys his enemies. Destroys all of them. Two months later, <laughs> God, what are you doing? And you know, in this moment, it's tough because spiritual amnesia will oftentimes make it sound like, this is what they were saying to God, you know, God, our Egyptian slavers treated us better than you're treating us. My sin treated me better than you. Does that make sense? Because there is a curse, guys, upon us of spiritual amnesia where we, for whatever reason, and then we'll get into some of the reasons today, but for whatever reason, with this curse of self-sufficiency and self-reliance, we forget so quickly God's provision, God's deliverance, God's promises. We forget so quickly. God, why are you, what are you doing? Well, here's, we're going to learn some more here in the, in the response as God is going to set up a system of provision for his people. Lord God says to Moses, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them. Everybody hear those words? God was being super clear. I'm going to test them in this to see whether or not they're going to follow my instructions. Remember the, remember the standard, right? I'm going to test them to see if they follow my instructions, but I'm going to make it rain down food. On the sixth day, they're going to gather food up, and they're going to prepare it, and there'll be twice as much as usual. I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now, now tell them, in the evening, you're going to have meat to eat, and in the morning, you'll have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You've got to get one, one more time for the back, right? He's going to continue to repeat this thing. Then you're going to know, I am the Lord your God. And that evening, vast numbers of quail, okay? Think Cornish ends, right? Quail come flying in, fill the camp, cover the camp. The next morning, the area is, around the camp is covered with dew. And then it goes on to say that when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? Right? What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it's the food. It's the food. I mean, God created food for you to eat right now, the food he's giving you. These are the Lord's instructions. Comes with instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. He goes on to give a few more instructions, but, but he's literally saying, you're going to have all you need. God's literally creating food for you. He's going he's to deliver it to you in such a way that you're going to have it every single day. So one of the things we have to understand, that one of the ways in which God's provision, the way in which God provides, helps us fight against the curse of that self-reliance, self-dependence, self-righteousness, you know, self, self is, is his provision is always sufficient to the degree that we remain dependent on him. Everybody with me? Let me walk you through just a couple examples. In this case, we know, those who know this story know, that it's because the manna was meant to serve everyone. Every one of God's people needed to have enough. 
sufficient, fully, fully what they needed. Two quarts per person in the household. And it talks about how they make the bread and everything else. It's beautiful. But they, they go on to talk about this in such a way that says, but it was only for the day. Right? It was only for the day. And there was, there was a way in which God was going to provide for them. He was going to provide what they needed. But, but it was going to mean that they were going to rely on Him. That they needed to continue to rely on Him. And isn't this strange? Isn't it strange that for most of us, especially in terms of God's people, like we are completely dependent upon God for salvation. Right? Like, I mean, his cross, the work on the cross, the, the, the death, the resurrection, like, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. And yet, one of the biggest struggles people have in, in Christianity is that they spend their life trying to earn God's favor. We read it in Scripture time and time again. Remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you don't remain in me, you can do nothing. And there's something about us as men and women, men and women, right, that we just go, no, I can do something. I think I can do something. Right? I mean, I can do a little bit. I can whistle. Right? Just understand that there's something there. And isn't it interesting that all of us fight this with everything in our being, that the total dependency that we're supposed to have on God to live the life he's called us to live, that we're just like, no, 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 I can, I can do some things. I'm sure I can do some things that please God. And then when we fall flat on our face, we go back to God and go, what are you doing? What? You know, what's happening? How am I going to make it through the, this next season if you don't let me, if I can't do it? Does that make sense? And it's just, it just floors me because God's provision is always tied to this understanding that he is our provider. He's not providing for you to like set you off on your own. He provides for you to remind you that he is your provision, that he is going to give you all that you need. A little bit later on, still going on with the instructions, he tells them not to keep any of the, 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 the flaky substance stuff. Don't keep any of it, right, until morning. Why do you think people would keep some? You guys know? Right? It's not like a, like, why would you think that they wouldn't eat it all? Fear, right? Yeah, fear. It's not like a first date thing where you're like, no thanks, I'm not going to have that much, you know. Or you're with those people that just like, I'm going to cut it in half and take some of it home, you know? And they're just like, they left it in the car. You know what I'm saying? Like, who are those people? Right? No, no. It, God knows. It's fear. What happens if I eat it all and I wake up tomorrow hungry? What happens if I use it all and there's nothing left tomorrow? Does that make sense? It's fear. And right then and there, Moses is trying to address through God. God's trying to address through Moses and his people. Don't keep any. Don't keep it. But some of them didn't listen, and they kept some of it till morning. And by then, it was full of maggots, <laughs> and it had a terrible smell. Yay. Right? And Moses was very angry with them. Yeah, no duh. He's very angry with them. Why? Because it's just a simple rule. It was like, don't keep any of it. It's like, don't keep it. It's God's going to provide. This is the food. He, he made it rain food. He created food. 
He also tells them later on, don't go out on the seventh day, the Sabbath day for rest. Don't go out and collect any. Okay, because why? You're going to have enough on the sixth day to last for two days. And that whole maggoty thing that other people had the problem with, that's not going to happen. On, you know, miraculously, on the sixth day, the food's going to last through the seventh because God's providing. But you know what? Some people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they didn't find any food. Of course not. You know, there's something to learn about God's provision, and it's about His timing. It's about His timing. God's timing is meant to cause us to grow in our trust and faith in Him if we are living in total dependence on Him to supply and to be sufficient as our provider. But He knew this was a great lesson to say, it's not going to be the way you want it. Okay? It's going to be the way that I give it. Okay? Well, God, I would, so, listen, I don't know about you, but I would so much rather have food for the week. Is that okay? If I can have food for the week, that would be awesome. Oh, wait, but don't wait till the last day of the week to give me more food. Can you, can you come about Wednesday and make sure I have enough food for the following? Because I don't want to have to worry about it on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Okay, could you bring it on Wednesday? And then I could, you, you know what? The month would be great. Could you just do the month? Could you just do the month? I mean, I promise I will never fear if you just do the month. But listen, if you could give me a few days before the end of the month to make sure I have enough for the next month, just in case we don't have enough for this month, in case you counted wrong. Everybody with me? Yeah, nod your head if you're with me. God's timing. I mean, Jesus teaches us when we're praying. He says how to pray. He says, give us what? Say it out loud. Give us what? This day. Our what? Our daily bread. <laughs> Our daily bread. Why? Because Jesus was teaching him to pray in line with what he knew about God's provision. Right? It's this day. This is the only day you got. This is all you're promised. So give us this day. Give us enough, the sufficiency we need for this day. Why? He tells us on the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems of its own. That's like God looking at you going like, you don't even know how screwed up your tomorrow's going to be. You have no idea how tomorrow's going to be. It's a mess. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. Right? And don't worry about today because I'm going to. Your Heavenly Father already knows what you need. Guys, for any of you that have ever struggled to understand God's provision, everything He does and the way He provides is to help us fight the curse in our flesh is to fight the curse in us to be self-sufficient, to be self-reliant, to be self-righteous, and to fight that spiritual amnesia where we're so easily and quickly able to forget. So, keep going. The Israelites called the food manna, which means, what is it? Isn't that great? They called the food what they said. We don't know what to call it. Let's call it what is it. So it was white, like coronator seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. Now, I love this. It goes on to say that Moses told Aaron, hey, get a jar filled with it, fill it with two quarts of manna, put it in a sacred place before the Lord to preserve it. Why? For all future generations. Right? He knew. Moses knew. Aaron did just as the Lord uh, had commanded Moses, and he eventually placed it in the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to get into that next week. Uh, in front of the stone tablets inscribed with the terms, of the covenant. See, both, both Moses and Aaron, they knew because God was imparting it to them 
that, that we were going to need help to fight these curses. We were going to need help to try to remember God's provision. So in the Ark of the Covenant, which would be placed in the most secret place of the presence of God with his people, would be these two courts, right? It didn't apply to the same thing. That It was special. It was set apart. These two courts as a daily reminder of God's provision for his people. A daily reminder of God's wisdom, right? Because he knows what you really need. He knows what you, he knows what's actually going to satisfy. He knows what you're going to need in the future. So he provides what you need. Maybe not what you want. Maybe not all you desire. Maybe not exactly the way you thought it was supposed to go. But he's always going to provide. As long as you follow his instructions. Listen to what he said. Live, live according to his ideals and instructions. That's how provision's going to work. And it's going to create in you gratitude and humility. You know, the easiest way to be grateful for what God has done for you is to remember what God has done for you. To every day, remember what he did for you yesterday. Every day, to remember, to, in the afternoon, remember what he did for you this morning. Right? It's not a one and done thing. Why do you think we put humility in our, uh, you know, to humbly point other people to absolute hope? Because I, we, we even know that the curse to be right, self-righteous, self-sufficient, the curse is there to, to keep us from being humble. And we have to continually humble ourselves to remember we are completely reliant on God. We are completely dependent on our Savior for everything. That's how we receive God's wisdom, because he knows best. He knows what we need. He knows everything. Oh, my mic fell off. He knows everything that we need in terms of our provision, in terms of sufficiency. And it's not a one and done. Okay, Let me just go back to say, it's not a one and done. You can't be like, well, I said thank you. I said thank you, God. Weren't you there? I said it. And you're like, oh. Okay. I mean, listen, as a parent, I'm just going to say this as a parent as I reclip this. Have you ever, have your kids ever said thank you to you? You know, because something you gave them and you just, you just kind of feel like they're still not very grateful. And they're like, what? What? I said thank you. And the parent's like, say it again. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel the gratitude. One of the best ways to fight against that self-reliance, self-sufficiency, that amnesia is gratitude and humility, but it's got to continually come. It's got to be something that we continue to come back to over and over again. Here's the next chapter. As Moses is moving them, the whole community, they left the wilderness of Sinai. They moved from place to place. They were heading to the mountain. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, which was no, there was no water for the people to drink there, okay? And it says, once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses said. I don't know what he really said, but I think that's what he wrote. Quiet! Why are you complaining against me? And look, why are you testing the Lord? That's just a big phrase here, guys. I, I just want everybody to hear this. I'm not saying this with a judgmental heart. I just want you to understand that as we see from examples of God's people, Moses is trying to help them understand that ignorance will only take you so far. 
Ignorance will only take you so far. Just because you didn't know God's going to have grace and patience and, and continue to do, but you can't ride the, well, I didn't know train very long when you know that you know. Everybody with me? You know better. You know. And God, Moses at this point is going, hey, stop complaining to me. And look, why are you testing God? I know you know. I know you know. But watch this. They were tormented by thirst. All right, they just, I mean, it's one of those things where what you know kind of leaves and what you feel, what you crave, your appetites, your desires are so strong, they just ru- overrule it. And they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us to Egypt? Are you trying to kill us and our children and our livestock of thirst? So God, Moses goes back to God. Moses is frustrated. God tells Moses, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to provide. So he tells Moses, I will stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses did it. He struck the rock as he was told. The water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massa, which is test, and Meribah, which is arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses. And tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord with us or not? Is the Lord with us or not? Guys, it's really easy for us to point our fingers at the Israelites, at God's people. It's really easy for us to point our fingers at them. But let's just be honest for a minute. How quickly does it take you to go from, oh, thank you, God. Yay, thank you, God. What's going on? What? Well, that check was supposed to cover way more than this. How are we going to make it through this month? God, what are you doing? How are we going to, you know, I got no solutions for this. How quick does it take? I'll be honest, for me, it doesn't take that long at all. Uh, Pastor Mike and I were at a conference back in February, and it was hilarious because I just confessed it in the car. It was just funny. I went from like a great worship experience that night. Like it was so good. We were worshiping. We came back to the hotel, and he went to bed, and I was like, yay, God. And I was singing songs and going to bed like, ha, 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 yay. And I woke up. I missed my alarm. We were going to be late. I didn't know we were going to eat breakfast. And I'll be honest, I got up, and I was just like, this is stupid. Everything's stupid, stupid, and this is dumb, and this, you're stupid, and that's dumb. <laughs> and we get in the car, and I told Mike, I was like, boy, that was fast. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was, whoo. It went from a lot of gratitude and humility to, why me? <laughs> What's going on? How are we going to get there? What are we doing? It doesn't take long. And guys, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a twisting it's happening in our, in our hearts so easily. And you'll see this again a little bit later on, but there's a twisting that happens in our hearts the longer we follow God and the more we struggle with this, that if you don't, if you don't handle it, if you don't deal with it, if you don't get honest about it, your relationship with God is going to be so screwed up and your idea of provision from God is going to be, well, I remember what you did, but what have you done for me today? Oh, yeah, I remember what you did, but you haven't done anything for me lately. I mean, that's, that's messed up. That's that self-sufficiency and curse of self-reliance rearing its ugly head. Now I'm going to take, take a quick sidestep.
only because I feel like this is important for you to see the gravity of this and that this is something that they're going to wrestle with their whole lives. So I gave you some extra scriptures on the bottom. This is the references. I'm going to go through it very quickly, and then I'm going to take us to uh, one more um, one more understanding God's provision in one more way. But there's, if you go to Numbers, and again, remember I told you, you know, the book of the, the when Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, um, Genesis was 2,500 years of recorded history of God's people. And Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy covers the 120-year life of Moses. Right? Everybody nod your head if you're with me? Yeah? Actually, 160 years. Sorry, I said that wrong. It's, it's the 160-year life of Moses. It's like it's, it, 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 so you have to, you're going to see in the next couple of weeks as we bounce around numbers and Deuteronomy and things, there's so much written. You're also going to find out why he had a lot of time to write, okay? Um, but we're looking at numbers because this continues the story, and it feels like it's just the same story, right? Numbers 11, there's people that are just like waking up. This is in the second year. They've, they've been at Mount Sinai for the whole year, and then they, they left, and they're heading towards God's promised land, and they're like, Manna again? Manna again? What happened to that quail, God? Like, we used to eat, you know, meat in Egypt. Again, going back to that whole thing. Are you with us or not? Egypt took, us, took better care of us than this. God was so mad because there were some Egyptians that came, kind of came along with us, some foreigners that had kind of been traveling with them, and he was so mad at them, he actually sent a fire to burn them up. And then he judged those who were asking for this uh, really harshly. He goes on to say, where's the meat? This is a little bit later on because they're, they basically are crying out for this, this, you know, the meat again. And so you have to go back and read it, but God's basically like, you want meat? Oh, I'm going to give you meat. It's going to come out your nose, right? Like it's going to come out your nose. You're going to be up to your neck in it. And he sends a hurricane of quail to them. So much so that the Bible says that the least amount gathered was 50 bushels of quail at one time. And it goes on to say that those that were consumed with this, they gorged themselves on this quail. And God put a judgment on the quail, made it a plague, and judged those people. The place is now called the graves of gluttony. Guys, I'll be honest. Sometimes I think one of the worst curses that God brings upon us is to give us exactly what we say we want and let us live with the consequences of it. I really do. And yet even then, he's, his grace shows up. Even then. You know, we go on to see where they get to the promised land. This is in Numbers 13 to 14. They get to the promised land. They send 12 spies, 12 representatives from the tribes. They go over, and 10 come back and say, we can't do it. We can't make it. This isn't going to work. I don't know what God was thinking, but it's not going to work. And two of them come back and say, no, we can do it. God said we should take the land. Let's take the land. They've only been gone from Egypt two years. I mean, let's do this thing. But the 10 override the two by getting all the people worried and based on fear, and they rebel against Moses, and they rebel against God, and God judges them right there. And now they have to wander through the desert for 40 years. And the oldest generation had to die, and they weren't going to get to experience what God had planned for them. And yet, again, even with that, God's grace and provision showed up. He continued to feed them for 40 years, manna. He continued to give them water to drink. He continued to provide for them. He continued 
He didn't let their sandals run out. He didn't let their clothes run out. I mean, again, I know, that, I know they had to live through the consequences of God's judgment, but God still provided grace and provision. And then, oh, for all the young people in the room, all the young people paying attention, yes, in the room? Okay, this is a big one, okay? Yeah, waving at me, that's good. This is a big one, guys. You've better learn from your parents, okay? Let me just go ahead and tell you, you better learn from your parents. Even if your parents do it wrong, you better learn. Because there becomes a little moment in time where history repeats itself. 37 years after it happened the first time, they show up, don't have any water, and start complaining to Moses about, did you bring us out here to die of thirst? And Moses is up to here. He goes to God. God tells him, I'll provide water. But they're making the same mistake that their parents made. And then, believe it or not, even Moses screws up. Even Moses doesn't actually obey God and follow his command because Moses got a little confused about what his job was and his role in all this. And God has to judge Moses and yet still provided water for them to drink. But it was just history repeating. So what do we do? Well, here's one more way to, I got to tell you about wisdom. It's the way we're going to read together. Uh, This is just, I, I couldn't not add this because I feel like it's so valuable, um, especially in terms of not just learning from the story, but valuable for us to see. Another one of God's provisions. If you want to read with me, it's in Exodus 18. I'm going to read just a few verses, starting in verse 13. It says, the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited for him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands out or around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, well, because people come to me to get a ruling from God. When disputes arise, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I have to inform them, the people of, God, uh, the people of God's decrees, and give them instruction. <laughs> this is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. Why? Because nobody wants to be in a DMV line every day of their life. Everybody with me? He says, this job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. Should you continue to be the people's, you should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them decrees and tell them the right way to live, the instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters for themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, meaning Jethro was pretty smart, hey, this is good advice, but you do whatever God says to do. He says, then you'll be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions and did exactly what he said. So one of the provisions we have to acknowledge is that, you know, God doesn't just give us his wisdom through timing and all these things. God gives us each other. 
God gives us the, the community of faith. You know, He didn't just make us totally dependent on Him. He gave us the gift of, of dependency on one another in the community of faith because godly counsel can come, wise counsel can come from God's people and be a source of provision for us. I mean, it's a huge deal. It's why we have... That's why we talk so much about being in life, life on life with other people, and you've got to have people that can speak into your life. Listen, you also have to be the kind of person that will receive people speaking into your life. You can already think of that person in your head that doesn't receive things very well. So start praying for them, because they can't stop you from praying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You pray for them. You start there. But you've got to be the kind of person that can receive godly counsel. And you got to be in life with people, people you trust, people that are wise and mature in faith, that are not going to contradict the Word of God, but they're going to give you advice and say, look, I'm giving you wise counsel, but you do what God tells you to do, right? You do what God tells you to do if it goes along with this. So how do we, how do we <laughs> fight against those that uh, when we ask, how will I make it, or how will we make it, how do we fight against those curses as we understand God's provision? Well, we have to remember, and remember, and remember, and remember, and remember, and remember. You guys know what a broken record is? And remember, however many times it takes, you have to remember God's grace and provision. Every time those questions rise up in you, it should be a cue for you. It should be a cue for you that my call is to remember God's grace and provision. Great example of this is King David. King David, right? This is when he's king. This is God's, you know, God after man's own, uh, a man after God's own heart. King David is trying to work himself. This is through the Psalms, a Psalm that he wrote, and he's doing his best to remember God's faithfulness. And then he writes it down for us. Like our ancestors, we've sinned, we've done wrong, and we've acted wickedly. Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. Why? Because they soon forgot his act of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled at him at the Red Sea. That's the first time. Like when they got to the Red Sea, they'd forgotten about the plagues and how they, God sh uh, saved them from the plague. I mean, they did it. So even they saved them then. And to he saved them to defend his, the honor of his name and his mighty power. Listen. I'm going to pause on this just for a second, just because it's important. Just because God does provide grace and God does still pull through and God does still provide, it's not because of you, right? Like you, you were dumb, you were an idiot, right? And you guys can all remember the times that you've been idiots, but God still came through. Remember, God comes through because of his name and because of his power and fame, not because of you. I say this all the time. God does it because he's awesome, not because you're awesome, right? Like, that's, that's not true. So he, here's David reminding them, hey, even the first time they freaked out and went against God, they forgot everything immediately. God still provided. He still came through because of who he is. He commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert. He rescued them from their enemies, and he redeemed them from their foes. Then the water returned and covered his enemies. Not one of them survived. 
Then his people believed his promise and they sang his praise. Again, just what we talked about today. Yet how quickly they forgot what he had done. They wouldn't wait for his counsel. In the wilderness, their desires ran wild, testing God's patience in that dry wasteland. So he gave them what they asked for, (laughs) but he sent a plague along with it. The people in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron and the Lord's holy priests. And it goes on to say, because of this, the earth opened up and it swallowed Dathan and buried Abram and the other others. I didn't even give you that story. You can go read that one. That's crazy. Giant sinkhole. Boom. You're gone. You're complaining about Moses and Aaron. Done. Fire fell upon their followers. That was another part that happened. A flame consumed the wicked. They forgot God. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done so much great things in Egypt and such wonderful things in the land of Ham, such awesome deeds at the Red Sea. What is it going to take for you to not forget God? Like, I know all of us, we're intellectual, okay? We're, 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 we all have it up here, okay? We all have it up here. But when we ask that question and that question rises up and we start going down that natural path because of the curses that we struggle through and we are not trusting God to trust in faith and humility and gratitude and total dependency, we're not living in those ways, then how could we expect God to provide in those ways? Like, you know, you're not living in counsel with other people. You're not living, you're not, we're not receiving counsel. Like, how do you expect God to provide? It's up to you. You have to remember. Like David, you got to go through the stories. You got to go back and look at the examples. You got to take time to to just learn from the mistakes of the past and say, I got to remember not just what God did for me today, what he did for me yesterday, what he's done for me in years past. I got to remember what he's done. Because regardless, whether it was my sin, regardless of my choices, regardless of my circumstances and my consequences, regardless of that, God's grace has shown up and His provision was sufficient. What is it going to take for you to remember? To remember and remember and remember and remember. Let's pray. Father God, so thankful for the ability to study your word and God to learn these things to help us remember so that we don't have to learn everything the hard way and yet God we choose so poorly so many times to react and to respond and to live out of our flesh and our own strength and the why me's and the what's going on and the how am I going to make it or how are we going to make it just flow out of us. God, continue to remind us of how you provide. It comes with our, when we're totally dependent on you. It comes with trust and faith. It comes with gratitude and humility. It can even come in the counsel of others and the community of faith. Help us fight against that self-reliance, that self-sufficiency that, that is in us. Help us fight against that amnesia that comes so quickly, how quickly we forget your grace and provision. It's only by your Holy Spirit, God, that we can pray this and we can hope and believe that you, by your Spirit's power, can help us move to a place to every day be able to remember your faithfulness. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.